This podcast is sponsored by Bruntwood, supporting independent food and drink businesses in the Northwest and beyond. Hello, I'm Matt White, and this is Fodder, the food and drink podcast for Greater Manchester. In this podcast, we're celebrating International Women's Day. We'll be speaking to women across our city that work within the food and drink industry. We'll be highlighting the success stories and looking at the issues surrounding gender inequality. And I've also managed to combine two of my favourite foods, ice cream and curry. The latter with Mowgli's Nisha Katona, MBE, and the former with Claire Kelsey, who, for my money, makes the best ice cream in Manchester, but upsettingly casts doubt on whether or not you should have a flake in your 99. <laughs> chocolate wants to melt in your mouth, and when you make it really cold, and I, you can't have a mouthful of ice cream and chocolate, I don't think. It doesn't work. I, I it goes chalky. Those flakes go really chalky and, and nasty in your mouth. You'll also meet Julie O'Grady, founder of Ladies That Beer. She'll be telling you all about the good things women are doing in the world of beer. There's a lot more women in the the brewing industry now who are are brewing beer. There's a lot more women who are now drinking beer, taking interest Mm -hmm. in beer as well. That's all coming up. But first, let's hear from Nisha Katona. Nisha is a food writer, a television presenter and the founder of Mowgli Street Food Restaurants. There's one in the Corn Exchange in Manchester and a new one in Bruntwood's University Green Development. It's just off Oxford Road and it's also home to Five Guys, the healthy fast food group Friska and the independent coffee shop Tack. However... It is Mowgli that we are focusing on, and I had lunch there with Nisha recently to discuss one of her favourite subjects. Curries, those brown pans of unctuous gorgeousness, are the most simple things in the world to make. So the reason I I was a barrister for 20 years, you know, I had a great job and a great salary and a great life, and I have dedicated my life to what I call curry evangelism, because... I need people to realise it is the simplest, most healthy, the quickest way of eating. It's incredible. Um, What I realised is that every curry is based on a three-spice formula. And what's even simpler is that two of those spices never change. Turmeric and chilli are the mother and father of all curry. Um, What changes is what I call the head note spice. So depending on on what ingredient you're going to cook, Indians just instinctively know when you are cooking brassicas, like cauliflower or cabbage or broccoli, we will use one or two of these spices. So we'll use either cumin seeds or mustard seeds, for instance. We know that if we're cooking meat, that third spice will be garam masala in its many forms, but it will be garam masala. So what I'm trying to get people to understand is that Indian cooking is not some DNA born dark art that only we know how to do. It is the simplest way of cooking. Every child in India by the age of eight can just instinctively know what spices go in with which ingredients and it's only ever three. But it is fascinating because you know Indians take it so seriously and so personally. These dishes are, um, they're kind of bound by almost religious um, shackles so Hindus cook a certain way Muslims cook a certain way Jains cook a certain way there are certain ingredients that are prohibited it is not a random dance of spices you don't just think I'm gonna make a chicken curry I'll just lob whatever I've got in there are rules and the rules make perfect sense so what we would say in Hinduism my background is Hindu Mm -hmm. my father was a Hindu priest 
is with vegetables, you do not need to be using onion and garlic. These are big, overpowering, masking flavours. You want the vegetable to be able to speak out over that. And remember, most Hindus are vegan, and so that's where Indian food in some ways is at its strongest. Do you think in the UK we're getting better at recognising that perhaps Indian cooking and Indian cuisine is actually just a blanket term and it's because it's a lot more specific than that isn't it? It is a lot more specific um, it's funny you know because I the way that I teach is that there are two main streams of cuisine through India there's Islamic and there's Hindu and they are diametrically opposed they're so different so the Hindus are the kings of the vegetables and the lentils potentially the Muslims are the kings of the meat cooking you know Hindus cannot cook meat in the way that Muslims can and that's because it's really interesting it said that in the Quran um, they say that when you go to paradise there are tables full of meat you know banquet it's it's something that's you know embraced eating and eating meat is something that's embraced in Hinduism it's forbidden it's seen as this heat passion giving ingredient that is hard to digest the theory is okay I'm gonna bore you now but no, the, no, theory, okay, the theory is for Hindus that all that energy that you put into digesting your meat you should be putting into philosophy and peacemaking you okay. see well, there's a logic there We're, yeah there's a lot of John Lennon about that and so we um, we have meat as a forbidden ingredient onions and garlic for strict Hindus are forbidden ingredients these yin and yang these kind of yang heavy um, passion heat giving ingredients are forbidden and as a result it's the two religions that dictate the different kinds of food Nisha Katona from Mowgli more from Nisha a little bit later on now though Isabel Jenkins has been a chef for over 10 years and has worked mainly in male-dominated kitchens. She wanted to connect with other women who worked in hospitality, so she hooked up with a group called Ladies of Restaurants. Ladies of Restaurants, or LOR, is a group set up to support women of the hospitality industry. As they say, sometimes to vent, but mostly to look at ways that they can help each other, whether that's making introductions, assisting someone looking for a new job, or just meeting up and having a glass of wine. Here's Isabel to tell us a bit more. I think it's good for women in the industry to be able to get together and support each other and talk about their experiences. I think sometimes it's quite isolating. When you work with a big group of men, you sometimes feel a bit left out. You get a bit left out of conversations and that kind of thing. And sometimes you feel like people don't really value your opinion that much. And it's nice to speak with other women who've got the same experiences as you. And also not just to complain about the way you get treated, but just to like share your ideas about the way that you can improve things. And have you had negative experiences in the past? I think it's better than it used to be, but when I first started out as a chef, I used to get a lot of negativity from men that I worked with. Just people always being like, oh, shouldn't you be making the cakes, love? And, you know, are you sure you can pick that up? And are you all right over there, flour? And just kind of like, you know, people treating you like a little girl all the time, like you, like you shouldn't really be there. Um, it's a bit disappointing, really. But I think now it's a lot better. I think open kitchens means people can't really get away with it. How much work do you think there is still to be done to address the balance, not just in like pay, but in the, sh the shift of attitudes towards women in the kitchens? I think that the managers need to be more supportive and perhaps notice what's going on. I think when I was younger and it just got turned a blind eye to and actually a lot of the senior team used to join in, in a way. So you didn't really feel like you could... Join in with... Well, you know, like taking the mick out of you for being a girl... Not like the head chef, maybe, but some of the sous chefs, and you know, they'd be like, Ooh, you know, make a lot of like sexist comments about the waitresses and that kind of thing, which doesn't really make you feel comfortable mm -hmm. to like speak up and say you don't really feel that valued, so you don't 
want to progress and I think that's probably a lot of the a lot of times I've worked with women who would just decide to quit and do a different job because they'd felt like they should go to women's work because they weren't supported to like improve but I guess that's where ladies of restaurant comes into play because that is a network that provides support and makes people realize that it's not just them you're not just alone yeah exactly I think it's like empowering people that they can do stuff and that we can join together and do things put on great events and like shout about what we're doing and not be embarrassed and not feel like you're not good enough and also just be able to share your stories and realize that it doesn't just happen to you and that if we speak out about it we can hopefully stop it if you want to learn more about ladies of restaurants for support advice or even to attend one of their events just head to ladiesofrestaurants.com now if you've ever been to any festivals or events around manchester or the northwest then chances are you'd have seen ginger's comfort emporium this is an ice cream van for grown-ups, peddling flavours that Mr Whippy can only dream of. Blackberry, rosemary and sage sorbet, pear and tonka bean, apple, mint and wheatgrass. And you can now eat these inside too. They have an indoor comfort emporium in the Northern Quarter on the first floor of Bruntwood's Afflex. I went along there just the other day to meet the founder of Ginger's, Claire Kelsey, to find out how this all began. It's just a love of food, not particularly ice cream. I bought a ice cream van in 2009, in December. Without particularly loving ice cream. Yeah, just <laughs> I thought it would be multi-purpose, so I thought we could do cakes, I thought we could do soup in the winter. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I thought, well, it's an ice cream van, let's make ice cream first. And then kind of just really loved it, because it's, it's a blank canvas, you can do what you like with it. You know, there's nothing you can't do. We've done everything, because we get the weirdest jobs coming, because we're renowned for being able to to do unusual flavours so we did a BBC job once where they wanted us to do chicken paste ice cream chicken paste and Brussels sprout ice cream how um, did that work out? well the staff really liked it but? weirdly it was foul but <laughs> I think that's why they wanted it Like, but we did it you know and it, it was passable yeah. and some people did like it but yeah it's just fun. It's a, it's just, it's a fun thing to do. And how does it do? I kind of imagine you in a little workshop just with lots of different tasters and mixing things up. And well, our kitchen's in Chalton and it's, it's, it's not boring. It's never boring to me, but it's kind of like a similar process for every flavour, but each flavour has a different recipe. Mm. Unlike the stuff you get in ice cream, Italian parlours where it's almost like a, a base mix that they add things to so yeah. that they're all the same yeah, consistency because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're larger scale than us they, they need conformity and consistency whereas our ice cream some are softer than others some are really rock hard because it's a diff- got a different amount of sugar in to scoop so we have to soften them up it's all it's a lot of work in serving our ice cream it's like spinning discs you have to take some out to let them get soft so you can scoop them because the yeah. sugar's low some like the Chilton crack the sugar's really high and that has to be in a separate freezer of it, with its own temperature so it's that artisan it's and we want to keep it that way because that's why we're different. It's I used to be an ice cream man years ago, for years, in the, the old like Mr Whippy vans. Yeah. And we, we did the scoop stuff that was down in the freezer and the machine Mr Whippy. And I say what I still can't do to this day because of being an ice cream man, eat flakes. Because we had that's unlimited long. boxes of flakes in that ice cream van and we just used to eat and eat and eat. Oh. So I can't eat them anymore because I had too much. But why is it well, wrong? Well, I think it's wrong because 
<laughs> chocolate wants to melt in your mouth and when you make it really cold and uh, you can't have a mouthful of ice cream and chocolate I don't think it doesn't work uh, I, I it goes chalky those flakes go really chalky and, and nasty in your mouth I put chocolate in the fridge though do you not oh yes into a warm mouth here's the difference oh, I see what you're saying, but so you're making your a... mouth really cold and then putting chocolate in it and it's like a gl- glaggy cluggy chocolate experience glaggy cluggy chocolate experience <laughs> it's the name of my new <laughs> ice cream parlour there's a book in that surely <laughs> yeah one of the reasons we're talking to you not just we're talking to you today not just because you make great ice cream and you're doing good things but we're celebrating international women's day uh, and we're talking about the opportunities and the problems that are within the industry mm. um how do you find it I know you're going to ask me this, so I was thinking about it a lot today, and I don't, I don't know how to answer that question okay. because I don't know what it's like to be anything other. And I know that's, I should think bigger, but and I should try and think of an answer here. But I've never, I never assume that anything that happens to me is because of my gender. I'm a bit blinkered. Sometimes things can be interpreted as sexism, or, and I just don't notice them because I'm quite confident. Well, then that's a good thing. Yes. I mean, it's not like I don't know what it looks like. People thinking that you can't take the workload in the kitchen. Because I did, I did spend time in professional kitchens yeah. in my early 20s, maybe about five or six years, not that long, because I couldn't really take it. It's such a difficult, demanding job. But the women there were every bit as tough as the men. And I don't think, I might be blinkered, but when people new people came into the kitchen, I didn't feel like the head chef was looking at them as a man or a woman they were are you tough or are you not and boys weren't and boys were and girls were and girls weren't if you haven't eaten ginger's ice cream yet then you need to get to Affleck. you heard claire describing there how she's found working in kitchens and obviously everyone's experiences are different lucy noon has spent 15 years working in the restaurant industry she also heads up her family business supplying fruit and veg to restaurants all across Manchester. She says that a lot of the problems for women working in restaurants actually comes from the customers. Here's Lucy Noon. I've spent um, a fair bit of time in, in various different places in the, in the restaurant, sort of physically, you know, on the floor, on the front desk, in the marketing sort of department. So I've been in and around customers in various different ways. And my experience has been overridingly positive. And I think I say that because I absolutely love what I do and I always have. But the biggest problems have come from customers and their how they perceive their entitlement over the staff in a restaurant and how they feel like perhaps I think if they are paying then they deserve to be able to do whatever they choose and that includes sometimes touching women and speaking to them in, in a way that you just absolutely would not do outside of a restaurant. It's weird, it's almost as if they come into a restaurant and some blokes in some capacities think that it's okay to touch you or in one instance for me as I was walking past, sort of very, quite sort of smoothly grabbed round my waist and sit me on his knee. No, he did not. Yeah, sat me down on his knee. Um, and the worst thing about it was he was actually someone that at the time I was quite good pals with and he was in the restaurant all the time and he worked in a bank and he was out with a big group of much older blokes, same age as me, and quite clear, he was doing really well, he was on the fast track, sat with a group of much older blokes who he was obviously trying to impress and... We'd had a bit of a chat about what wine he was going to order, you know, so it all looked really well put together. And then they'd all had a few drinks, and as I walked past, he just grabbed me and popped me on his knee. And I I did give him a fair earful at the time about it. And he was mortified. He was absolutely mortified, but I think he felt that that's what 
that's what you do. I, I've known you a long time, Lucina, and I would imagine that if someone did do something, or someone did do something like that to you, but you you wouldn't have any problems with speaking up and speaking your mind. Uh, no. and, and getting it across that you're not happy with that but but not everyone is in a position or maybe feels like they uh, they can especially no, if they're working and in a I restaurant. was I was working for a company that didn't didn't take kindly to that kind of business but I do think that some companies treat women as sort of decoration you know you see hosts that are made to dress in in certain things and you think how can she wear heels all day yeah she looks great but did she did she choose to wear those heels can she wear them all day I mean I've worn heels all day out of choice and I've worn heels all day, not out of choice, and it hurts either way, you know. And I do just wonder whether or not a company that will make you dress a certain way has a similar sort of... I don't know because I've never really worked for one that does it, but makes you... would treat you the same way if something went wrong. Would they stick up for you? Would you be in a position where, you know, they'd say, well, it's part and parcel of the job, I don't know, but I know that happens. Um, I don't know if you can hear. Can you hear... <laughs> that sort of grunt we've got sounds like a tractor as we're talking I'm currently holding your beautiful little baby boy Alex hello Alex can you say hello no he's 11 weeks old so it's not really his... he's 11 weeks old yeah. man he's a big boy he's for huge 11. isn't he can I hand him back to you yeah okay. there you go you've got little Alex back um, so you've been there Lucy you've, you've worked in the industry you've been on the receiving end of some very unpleasant chauvinistic behaviour um, to to women, to girls, to young girls often that are working in the industry now, what would you say to them if you could pass down one piece of advice? I think I'd say tell people how you feel because at the end of the day, if, you, if you're not enjoying something and you're made to feel like you're being exploited or you don't think that you as a woman are being sort of valued enough, then tell them because it might just be that they didn't realise and there's no excuse for them not realising but you might just change something. Lucy knew. So far in this podcast, we've talked to women who are passionate about ice cream. We've talked to women that are passionate about curry. So now I think it's time we talked beer. Manchester's got an incredible beer scene. Microbreweries and independent beer makers are doing some great things. But as the Manchester Evening News recently said, undertones of sexism are rife, which threatens to undermine progress made towards equality. Ladies That Beer is a social group whose mission is to encourage more women to drink and appreciate beer, to learn about styles and brew processes, and to have, basically, a good time. Julia O'Grady is the founder of Ladies That Beer, and I spoke to her recently about the perceived image of beer being a man's drink. I asked her if the beer and brewing scene was beginning to see a shift in attitudes. Yeah, there is. Um, there's still a lot, long way to go. Um, but yeah, it's, it is starting to shift. There's a lot more women in the, the brewing industry now around the country, Europe and in America, um, who are, are brewing beer. There's a lot more women who are now drinking beer, taking interest mm-hmm. in beer as well. Um, and, you know, running pubs and bars. Uh, Nikki's with us. Nikki is the general manager at the Crown and Kettle in Manchester. Hello, Nikki. Hello. I mean, we heard Julie saying there that when she goes into pubs, or when you used to go into the pubs, it was mainly men, predominantly men. Do, do you see that in your place? Um, I do, yeah. When I started nearly three years ago now, I'd probably say it was about 90% like men-orientated. Wow. Uh, but in the past few years, like through various events, like with Ladies at Beer um, and Beardless Beer Week, uh, which I organised. Beardless Beer Week? Yes. Yeah, 
so just showcasing beers brewed by women and having like female artists and female musicians that sort of thing um, in the past three years it's probably now more 70 30 we get 70 percent men 30 women and that's a considerable yeah. shift yeah so we even have like females coming in sort of on their own to have a beer um, which is nice so they feel comfortable and yeah, so and that's, that's part of the thing for for us and ladies up here we as nick's just said we have women that travel from leeds manchester uh, preston wigan various other places to come and join us because their friends don't actually drink beer they want to be part of something yeah. they want to learn about beer they want to enjoy different beers as well and you know educate themselves as well to become to come into a nice environment to you know to be friends with other women to get to know other women and you know we've made some great friends haven't we you know around the the social aspects of drinking beer and going out and having events as well that you know at at the end of the day that's that's what it's about it's having a good time as well as enjoying beer learning about beer and saying you know it isn't just for men it is for for women as well and what about within the industry within the the brewing industry you say now that more women more than ever are brewing their own beer producing their own stuff how's that being received with the the traditionalists the, the men that are in the brewing industry um, I think the majority um, are fine with it. There are some who are still don't see women as being brewers or they don't think maybe that they're as good as what they are. But I would say overall it's very positive. There's a lot of men in the brewing industry who are very pleased that there's women now coming in, even yeah. more women coming in and prepared to do the same role. And there are some women that may be better brewers than men who are on the same part as men, you know, and there are a lot of breweries who are actually supporting women from education having them coming in to the breweries and showing them how a beer is brewed or guiding them and that's fantastic you know from ladies that beer we've brewed with a number of of breweries and they've been phenomenal you know support to us um even when they've been busy or even the bigger breweries to say we've got time for women in beer we want women to love this product just as much as we do I was going to try and pass this fact off as my own, but I couldn't keep a straight face. You, you told me this earlier, but women were the, the first brewers way before men got their hands yeah, on it. Yeah, in the ancient Egyptian times, it was us that actually started brewing beer. And yes, we did save it to, to the men. But, you know, over time, things have changed. You used to have alewives as well that used to do the, the beer and save it. And, you know, as I say, the, the tide sort of changed where all of a sudden men then started brewing the beer and women sort of took a, a backseat well that's now coming back round where more women now wanting to get into the beer industry and there's some amazing female brewers out there absolutely phenomenal I was reading up about um, misogyny within brewing and within beer which exists whether we like it or not it is there and one of the obvious things that you can see when you walk straight into a pub is the beer pumps and you still get it now and you get names I, I don't want to point out but dizzy blonde and yeah, all these top totties that what legs 
Never. Uh, yes, yeah. That's uh, uh, from America. That's one that's come from America. Um, there are some appalling names, absolutely disgusting names, and there's some shocking pump clips as well. And, you know, as far as we're concerned, there is just no need to have anything like that on a pump clip. You should be able to sell your beer without without having anything demeaning, misogynistic, to, you know, to get men to buy that beer. You know, at the end of the day, you also want to get women purchasing your beer. You don't want to alienate anybody from your market. You want that beer to speak for itself and to be honest if you've got to put something like that on your pump clip then what does it say about your beer what does it say about your company julia grady and if you want to get involved just search ladies that beer on twitter and facebook recently bruntwood hosted an intimate lunch and conversation at the beautiful new mowgli restaurant on university green off oxford road Mowgli founder Nisha Katona, MBE, spoke to Andrea George, head of retail and leisure at Bruntwood. Andrea asked Nisha a question, and I just wanted to share that with you. What is it like to be a woman in the hospitality industry? What I would have loved is a bit more visit. When I was setting up, there were very few women owners, and we are still a complete minority. Yeah. And still I go into meetings where all the answers I directed to the man in the room when it's me that's the purse string holder and me yeah. that's the owner of the business. We've got a long way to go. As a barrister, when I joined the bar 20 years ago, I was one of about five women. And that changed over the 20 years. And now the majority are now women coming in. Hospitality, it's like going back 20 years. Yeah. And so it's all of those same issues. And the truth is, it's not as though it's a misogynistic industry. The My fellow restaurateurs are amazing. It's an amazing fraternity and they could not be more helpful to me. But we need, there is, you know, it's like a three billion pound gap in our economy because women are not starting their own businesses and that's why for better for worse I will fail at Mowgli I'm sure and then I'll stand up and do it again honestly there will be peaks and troughs but I need to talk about it so that women like me who are thinking about coming into businesses like this or starting their business can see what that journey feels like what does it do to your family what does it do to your sleep pattern what does it do to your mortgage repayments I just need to be really open and you know then it leaves you you know open to people throwing stones at you Mm. which is fine I don't care as long as women out there are hearing what it's really like to live this kind of life and do you have is there any mentors that uh no mentors um it's a no no yeah, <laughs> i'll tell you why yeah, there's yeah. not mentors because here i'm a 47 year old woman yeah. with two children who gave up a an amazing career there's not many who have done that yeah and um so a mentor would be somebody that had done that and talked mm. about it yeah and um and, so, and I don't know any, or somebody that would talk to me, so I don't have any. I have a chair that I respect immensely and I adore her. Um, and she's something of a sleeping giant in Mogli. She's Karen Jones and she founded Cafe Rouge. And in her is this vast amount of knowledge. So yeah, if I've ever got uh, problems, I go to her. She sees things the same way. She's, we're built from the same. We yeah. both love Pink Floyd. Do you know what I mean? Love Leonard Cohen, that'll do me. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm steering this ship very much alone at the moment and I love it. There you go, Brookwood's Andrea George talking to Nisha Katona. That's about it then for this episode of Fodder. Let's just remember that Manchester is a great city and it's full of great women doing great things. We should celebrate this all year round. That's it. Thanks for listening.